Wow, that worship always gets to me, and then I have to get up and talk like this, and it just uh, takes me off guard, but uh, that was sweet. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Grace Church. I want to add my welcome to the welcomes you've already received from others. Uh, my name is Bill Walker, for those of you who may not know me, and I get to pastor here along with some awesome, awesome people. Well, I just am grateful that you're here today as we kind of begin this series called The Case for Christ During Our Easter Season. Today will be the first of four messages wrapped around this movie that came out on Friday night. As Dennis mentioned, um, he and I, uh, along with our wives, maybe I should say Bambi and I, along with Dennis and Kathy, not that he and I, along with our wives, uh, went to the movie. Uh, and, you know, I, I figured I need to get a sneak peek if I'm going to be speaking around it, so I wanted to have as much knowledge as I could of it. And all I can say is, wow, it was very, very well done, very well done. And so it is the case for Christ, and the byline is one man's journey to solve the biggest mystery of all time. That one man is Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an avowed atheist. Uh, he was a, an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He was a man who was highly intellectual. Uh, he got his journalism degree at the University of Missouri, and then he went on to Yale Law School where he got a master's degree. So at the Tribune, he was their law correspondent. And so he was an extremely intelligent man, needed to have the facts, needed to know the truth. And, and so he set out on a journey, as it says here, one man's journey, and his journey was to disprove Christianity. And the reason is because his wife, Leslie, came into a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, and it was his goal in life to rescue their marriage by rescuing her from what he saw to be a cult. Christianity was a cult in his mind. It couldn't be true. And so he sets out on a two-year process of reading everything he could read and investigating everything he could investigate. He, he, he interviewed a number of the leading experts in the world, traveled all over the place. But what he designed to write as the case against Christ at the end of two years became the case for Christ. As the movie ends, and I'm going to give you the spoiler here, as the movie ends with he and his wife on their knees in their home as he received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. It is a beautiful movie, a very beautiful movie. And I just want to encourage you, uh, we are taking a list of people who are willing to, to uh, be on that waiting list. We'll get either a 60-seat or a 100-seat theater. We've already got one theater full. But we really want to make Good Friday amazing. And really, the benefit of this movie is, is indeed for you to see this beautiful testimony played out in film. But it's also especially good for somebody who may be doubting. For somebody who may be wrestling with faith. For somebody who may have challenges that are preventing them from taking that final step to fully embrace Christ with their life. So really, it's, it's designed for your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones who have these challenges as well. So write your name down, include them. We'll see if we can get another theater and it'll be an awesome, awesome time today. We're actually going to wrestle with some of the challenges, some of the sticking points, if you will, that people have on their journey to placing faith in Jesus Christ. We all have them at one point or another in that journey. In fact, I'm going to show you a little clip from the movie, kind of a little teaser, and I'm going to set it up for you. It's really good. So what we have is Lee Strobel in the news office there at the Chicago Tribune, and he's tipped back in his chair, and he's in deep thought wrestling with all of the facts that he has been gleaning through all of his study and investigation, 
and he's come up against the wall of faith, and he's really wrestling with it. In walks a co-worker. His name is Kenny London, and he happens to be the religious editor. So that's how this is set up. What are you doing here? I thought you were banished. <laughs> hey. What's the matter? You people and your God, you just, you know, you talk in circles. You offer, you offer just enough evidence, but never enough to be conclusive. Then you fill in all the gaps with, oh, well, yeah, you just got to have faith. It's a bunch of nonsense. You're really irritating. You know that? Mm. Don't start with me, Kenny. You don't waste a lick of time bragging to all of us how great a reporter you are. So why can't you put up or shut up on this story? What are you even talking about? Here's where the chili meets the cheese, my friend. One of my heroes was C.S. Lewis, a man who began as a skeptic, much like yourself. At the end of his journey, you know what he said? He said, if Christianity is false, it's of zero importance. But if it's true, there's nothing more important in the entire universe. So you want your wife back? Well, hey, guess what? People in hell want ice water. Not everybody gets everything they want. Stop blaming me and the church and God and do your job. Stack up the evidence, follow the facts, and write the story, win or lose. It seemed pretty aggressive, didn't it? But you know, sometimes when people have these sticking points in faith, they need to be properly challenged. They need to be encouraged to take that next step, even though it doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Again, in just a few moments, uh, we're going to look at some of these challenges that, that many people have to fully embracing Jesus Christ with their lives. And by that, I mean to experience the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing of guilt, and finding the joy that comes from obediently following Christ with their lives. You know, many people have sticking points on the way to putting that kind of trust and reliance on the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, I dare say with a group this large right now, there may be a few folks here even today that have some obstacles between you and fully embracing Jesus Christ. I'd like to see if maybe we can't speak into some of those over the next few moments together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you. And if you're here today and you're not related to Jesus Christ in a life-giving way, I want to pray especially for you. I want to see if I can get you unstuck in your journey towards Christ. So if you would bow your heads with me, uh, let's just take a moment and pray together, and then we'll get started into this great truth. Well, Father, thank you uh, for men like Lee Strobel. He only has a testimony because you revealed yourself to him. And so really, it's you who gets all the glory and all the credit. But it's so heartening to see that no matter how far somebody may be away from you, there is still great hope that they can know you and experience you. That's really Lee's story. And I pray today that no matter how far away somebody may be right now from enjoying a relationship with you, that maybe the next few minutes through the work of your Holy Spirit, you would be pleased to draw them to yourself. Father, 
have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at several sticking points, spiritual sticking points, that people have on their journey to faith, fully embracing Jesus Christ with their life. And so the first one I want to look at is what often is referred to as the intellectual challenge, or if you will, the sticking point of, I can't believe. I just can't believe. Now, this takes on various strains and colors. You know, people from the scientific community are like, I just can't believe in Jesus because science and the Bible, they just don't go together. So I can't believe. And then there are people who are, who are lawyers and journalists like, like Lee Strobel, people, brilliant people who are all about the facts. Just give me the facts. I want the data, and I want to make it all work out in the end. And let's not add faith to the mix. I just need to make sure this is the right thing. And then there are still others, very thoughtful people. These are good questions. These are good challenges. And I think of some people who look around at the world we live in today with all the injustice and all the pain and misery and suffering, and they think to themselves, you know, if the Christian God is all-powerful and all-good, this doesn't add up. So there's a lot of legitimate intellectual challenges people really wrestle with to understand the reality of faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we actually have a story in the Bible of one of Jesus' followers who after the resurrection from Jesus from the dead really had doubts, really had challenges of, of intellectually understanding that truth. How many of you have ever heard of Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Doubting Thomas, this is where that comes from. It says this. It says this here. It says, So the other disciples told him, Thomas... You know, we have seen the Lord! <laughs> Exclamation! And he said to them, listen, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my fingers into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, which is really gross, I will never believe. So here we have Thomas, one of Jesus' followers. There's no way he's risen from the dead, and I'll not believe until I can see physical evidence to prove it to me. So, Intellectual challenges, struggles of trying to really um, intellectually understand how faith and life really line up are genuine. They're real. And maybe you're here today and you have such challenges in your own life that's keeping you from fully embracing Christ with your life. What do you do? What do you do? How do you handle intellectual challenges? How do you get through those, over that hurdle, through this sticking point, to ultimately embrace Christ by faith. Well, let me see if I can help you. This is my goal today is to help you get there. So um, what I'd like to do is share with you a story that actually comes from the book of Acts. And it's about a guy by the name of the Ethiopian eunuch. There's some really cool stuff there I want you to see to help you understand how you can overcome this intellectual challenge. Here we go. This is found in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 31. It says, and now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, how that works, I don't know. Okay, and so he said, Philip, rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's going from Jerusalem down to the Gaza Strip in that area. This is a desert place. And so Philip, in obedience, rose up and went. And there was an Ethiopian, this is a black African, a eunuch, of the court of the official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So he was a very intelligent man, a very capable man, a very trusted man, and probably a very wealthy man. 
He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And now he was returning home. And seated in his chariot, he was reading over the prophet Isaiah. And so the Spirit of God, the angel of the Lord, the Spirit, said to Philip, go over and join yourself to his chariot. So, again, in obedience, Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asked him, here's his intellectual challenge, do you really understand what you're reading? And he said, no, how can I unless somebody, gives, uh, unless somebody guides me? And so then he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. So here we have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. He's a man who is trying to understand God. He was a man who was trying to fully uh, understand what the Jewish God was all about and, and what was going on. And so what I want you to see is this. He was willing to do everything within his power to investigate this. Notice what I discovered. This morning, as I was kind of thinking this through, I thought, how far is Ethiopia to Jerusalem? And so I pulled up Google Maps. And what I did was this. I discovered if I were to get in my car in Ethiopia and drive north, that I'm actually going to hit some problems in here. There's some bridges out or something going back. But it's a 130-hour car trip. That's like five and a half days of steady driving. So this is like a long way through some very nasty territory. I mean, it goes through the length of Sudan and the length of Egypt over the Sinai Peninsula to get to Jerusalem. So all that to say this, man, it took that guy over a month to get there. This was not like he hopped on a plane and went there the next day and then did something went right home. It took a lot of time. It took a great deal of expense. And it was a treacherous journey. But he was willing to do what it took to investigate the claims of God. And it goes on to say that he went there to worship. So when he arrives in Jerusalem, you need to understand, he being a Gentile and a eunuch meant this. Here's where Yahweh worship actually happens. This is the court of the men. This is the court of the women. This is the court of the Gentiles. He would not have been permitted to fully worship Yahweh. So he went all that way, doing all this investigation, so that he could witness what is going on with this thing called worshiping Yahweh. And then on top of that, he also seemed to have, because of his wealth and his position, he seemed to have a copy of the Isaiah scroll. So, all that to say this. He spared no expense. He, 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 he did everything within his power to pursue an understanding of God. And I believe that's the key if you're here today and you have intellectual challenges. Because again, to quote C.S. Lewis, you know, if, if there is nothing to this, it means nothing. But if it's true, if it's really, really true, it's the most important thing in the universe. So don't give up. Don't just satisfy yourself. Oh, no, no, I got all these intellectual issues. Pursue those issues. Challenge yourself to really understand whether or not your faith is, 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 is either grounded or not based upon the facts. And so what will happen is this, and it happens over and over and over again. The scriptures hold true. God said, you will seek and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch. He was seeking and seeking and seeking, and God spoke to Philip, and Philip came alongside him to give him understanding. And so too, not only... Uh, does God bless those with who he is when people wholeheartedly seek him sincerely, like the Ethiopian eunuch? But it's funny, 
those people who wholeheartedly seek to disprove God often wind up on the other side of the issue. Isn't that interesting? If you wholeheartedly go after God, either in, in trying to believe or choosing trying not to believe, God seems to reveal himself to people. In fact, C.S. Lewis was a famous atheist who sought to disprove the reality of God. In the process, came to Christ. Uh, Lee Strobel, in the movie, is an atheist determined to prove that Christianity cannot be true. And in the process, he ended up coming to Christ. And then there's another famous atheist. His name is Dr. Francis Collins. And Dr. Collins is today the head of NIH, the National Institute of Health, the man who took the double helix and undid it and understood the genome. Brilliant man of science. He likewise, in seeking to disprove the reality of faith in Christ, ended up finding faith in Jesus Christ. Here's his story. Why? You were not a believer early in your life. Why? It was the way I was raised. I was raised in this uh, remarkable environment by a drama professor, father, and a playwright mother, uh, surrounded by theater, music, the arts. Uh, they were doing the 60s thing, except it wasn't quite the 60s yet. And I was exposed to all kinds of fascinating ways to learn about life and the world and uh, ideas. Uh, but faith was not really on the list of things that were talked about. It wasn't that faith was put down or considered uh, inappropriate for other people. It just didn't sort of enter the conversation in my childhood. Did it exist in your mind as a question? Oh, I had glimmers of something, some longing outside of myself, some sense that maybe there was a God up there that I might be able to reach out to. What brought you as an adult then to faith? Well, first, as an adult, I walked very far away from faith. I went from being sort of well, vaguely interested, but not really, uh, to becoming an atheist. Uh, as a scientist studying physical chemistry, quantum mechanics, I became convinced that everything about the universe could be described by equations. So what changed that for you? Well, I changed my life plan from physical science to medicine. And when I went to medical school, the ideas about death and dying, which had been rather hypothetical, became very real. You can't be in that environment, sitting at the bedside of people who are facing the end of their lives without having it affect you. Did you set out to find God? or to find that there was no God. I set out to prove that my atheist position was correct. I set out to try to find out what really were the rigorous arguments that I assumed were there that would rule out any possibility of God for a thinking person. You must have found many of them. <laughs> I found some. Many of them were ones I had cooked up in my own mind. But the harder I looked at them, the flimsier they were. All of us human beings have a sense that there is such a thing as right and there's such a thing as wrong. What a curious thing. Where does that come from? If you were looking for evidence of a God who cares about human beings, not just a God who started the universe in motion and then wandered off somewhere else, wouldn't this be an interesting place to find him? Basically as something written within our hearts, universally in humankind, making us different from other species, and calling us to be good and holy, pointing us as a signpost, if you will, towards something outside ourselves that is much more good and much more holy than we can imagine. 
Did you have at some point a born-again experience? When people talked to me about born-again, I didn't know what they were really referring to when I was growing up. But yes, I did have a moment where I became a believer. I had struggled for two years with this debate within myself, gradually coming to the conclusion that belief in God was the most plausible of the choices, but that it couldn't be proved. And after many months of struggling with whether to make that leap, uh, on a beautiful fall day, hiking in the Northwest with my mind a little more clear than usual because there were not the usual distractions, I felt I could no longer resist. And I became a believer that day uh, in the sunshine and the shadow of the Cascade Mountains. I can't believe. Many people hold that position, and yet did you know that 40% of scientists are men and women of faith? Is it really that you can't believe, or you haven't thoroughly investigated it enough to really know the validity of true faith? So what I want to do is I, I want to do a little bit of a Kenny London thing with you. So, so as you're kind of sitting there, and you're kind of like, I've got these intellectual challenges. Okay, okay, I get that. Okay, here we go. Ready? I'm going to see if I can get you on stock. That's what Kenny did, right? Yeah. So he said, stack up the evidence, follow the facts, and come to your conclusion, win or lose. In other words, don't give up. Continue to pursue. Go after this and see if God does not show himself to you to be the true and the living God. I want to encourage you to do several things if this is, if this is your challenge. One thing I want to encourage you to do is read Read, read, read. Read the stories of people who are in your position who, have, who did come to faith. I want to encourage you to read the book uh, that Dr. Francis Collins wrote. It, it is simply called The Language of God. A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief. And uh, excellent book. He talks about how breaking the genome actually brought him greater understanding of who God was. Uh, another man we've already referenced is a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. Read Mere Christianity. He's more of a philosopher, and he's wrestling with the realities of the implications of what faith would mean in real life and in this world. Here we go. Uh, the guy that we're now talking about is uh, none other than Lee Strobel. Uh, his book, The Case for Christ, is out there. It's been out there for a while. It's now been revised and updated. Read what he has to say. Go to the movie. Watch the movie. Allow it to challenge your positions. In fact, if you get to a place where you're really still struggling, I want to invite you to come up after service, and uh, I will give you a free copy of The Case for Christ. Uh, I have a bunch of them. I would be happy to put one in your hands if you, if you would read it. And uh, I would also like to invite you to join me by going to The Case for Christ at the movie theater this Friday night. Uh, I know we're trying to get another theater. We'll get another theater. They want to make money. Sure they will. So they'll give us a theater. That's how that works. So we'll get another theater, and I want to encourage you, come to me, and I'll give you a free ticket, I'll give you a free book, and we'll go down this pathway together. You see what happened? The Ethiopian eunuch was, was trying to investigate, and God brought Philip alongside him. You're here today, not by accident, and I want to come in alongside you, and I want to join you in your chariot on your journey for a little ways, and I want to help you understand this truth about Jesus. So keep going, keep going, don't give up, because if it is true, it is the most important thing in the entire universe. So number one, I can't believe. 
Let's talk about another sticking point, and this one's actually as big or bigger than this sticking point in most people's lives, and it is this. I don't want to believe. I don't want to believe. You see, the first one is what I would call the intellectual challenge. This one is what I would call the moral challenge. The first one has to do with a lack of understanding. The second one has to do with an improper lifestyle. The challenge of, if I really believe this guy Jesus, then he's going to come into my life and he's going to screw over my life and I'm not going to be able to do the stuff I want to do. I don't know if I want that to happen to me. You know, um, I remember a few years back, I was watching this Man on the Street interview, the MOS Man on the Street interview. You know how those work? They get a guy with a microphone, he's out there, his people are running by, and it's, it's not scripted at all. And so he sticks a microphone in people's faces and he simply asks this question, do you go to church? And he gets this whole range of various responses. But there was one response that was really rich, and I never forgot it. It was a young African-American man, uh, articulate, good-looking guy. And they said, hey, do you go to church? And the guy goes, no, just like that. It was, it was as if he had repelled him. Do you go to church? No, he said. And the guy goes, would you mind if I ask you why? And this is what he said. I don't want to be hearing what they be saying. I don't want to be hearing what they be saying. Because the reality is, he was living a life that he knew that if he really heard and he really responded to what was being said, it would change his life. A lot of people have intellectual challenges with coming to Jesus Christ. They, they have to have those, those challenges understood before faith can be expressed. But a number of people, quite frankly, simply do not want to believe because if they believe, it will change the life they're living, and they don't want that to happen to them. You know, it's funny how the Bible speaks so clearly about these things. Uh, there's a verse in John that says this. John chapter 3, verse 19 says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people, what? Yeah, they love the darkness rather than the truth. Because their works were evil. That is a vast majority of the people around us today. You're going to reach out to somebody and say, hey, you want to go to a movie with me? Yeah, my church is sponsoring a theater. Your church? Ah, uh, no thanks. I don't want anything to do with that, thank you. I don't want to go there, thank you. Because I don't want to be hearing what they be saying. Because I've already predetermined that I want to do these things in my life. And if I do what you say, I know my life is going to change and I don't want that. Again, this is the hurdle of morality, the hurdle of lifestyle. And you know, I get this. I get this so good because this was my sticking point. You know, growing up, I heard a lot about Jesus and I heard a lot about church, but I also wanted to live my own life the way that I wanted to live it. And I had my pet sins, and I was doing my own thing, and I, I, I had all this stuff going on in my life, and I knew that if I went down that pathway, everything was going to change, and I didn't want that. So my neighbor would invite me, hey, Bill, you want to go to church? Yeah, thanks. No, I'm busy. Hey, you know, we're going to come over and do a Bible study? Hey, thanks. No, I'm busy. Uh, I wasn't smart enough to feign that I had an intellectual challenge. I just wasn't that guy, you know? But I can tell you I didn't want to. And the reason I didn't want to is because I knew that the moment I got under that, that teaching, I was going to be very uncomfortable. So why be uncomfortable? I'm just going to live my life. You live your life. Let's not talk. Well, that was great. 
for a while. Doing my own thing was cool for a while. But when my choices in life actually ended up uh, creating a really, really bad situation for myself, all of a sudden, the thought that somebody could somehow change my situation became very attractive to me. You see, when we live our lives down our own way and our own paths, they often don't work out terribly well. And that's what happened to me. And so I got to a place in my life where the thought of change was actually better than holding on to the very things that were actually killing me. There's a verse of scripture that I think kind of sums it up really well. It's found in Romans, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. It says this, for the wages, that which you earn, the wages of sin is what? Death, yeah. So, you know, this actually refers to eternal death, a place called hell, uh, an immoral lifestyle uh, apart from God ultimately ends up in that place. But you know what? All those wages don't come due at the moment of death. Those wages are paid out during your life. And as you're walking the course of life, you're earning certain reprisals for the choices that you're making in your life. And I realized as I was doing my own thing, having my own way, that, that relationships in my life just weren't working out. There were broken relationships with family and friends that happened to my life. It was, it was like death was happening in relationships. Separation is what death means. So there was separation in relationships. Uh, emotionally, I was having all kinds of depression, and I was having all kinds of, of deep, deep struggles. And it was, it was largely because of the lifestyle I chose. I know that, you know, this death can even be financial for some people. You know, you dig such a deep hole of debt that it feels like a grave. Uh, this can also be physical challenges that come back on you. My, my dad died at 58 from self-abuse. His brother died of alcoholism at 62. So, so the, re, the rewards or the wages of sin don't wait till the end. They actually pay out during life. And I got sick of it. I got to the point where I just didn't want to continue to live the way I was living because it felt like death. I wanted a change. And when that time hit my life on June, 8th, 19, or June the 6th, 1985, that was when I got down on my knees and I said, Oh, God, I desire the free gift of eternal... What's that word? What is it? Yes, that's what I wanted. I wanted life. You see, we all have the same amount of time. We've all got eternal existence. The question is not the amount of existence. The question is the quality of that existence. And I was tired of living death. And I wanted life. I never came to Jesus Christ to, to escape hell. That was never my goal. I wanted a life worth living now. And that's what God did on June the 6th, I said, I'm done living my life. I've screwed it up. I don't want to do this anymore. And so I let go of myself, and I embraced Christ with my life, and he began to transform my life from death to life. So maybe you're sitting here today, and you're saying, yeah, I don't want to be hearing what you be saying, Pastor Bill. La, 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 la. My testimony of going from death-like existence to a life that's worth living can be expressed for many other people here today. And it can be done hundreds of times within our community and millions of times from around the world as people met Christ. 
But you know what? It will only ever be real to you if you will let go of yourself and your sin and embrace him. At that point, you'll know that what I'm telling you is the truth. Sadly, men want their sin rather than the truth, but believe me, uh, Christ makes all the difference. So, we have the problem of I can't believe, the problem that I don't want to believe because I really want to continue to live my own lifestyle. Uh, but this is what Jesus offers you. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that you may have, what's the word? Life! An existence that really feels like living. And you can have it abundantly or completely or in a fulfilling way. This is what Christ offers. Okay, here we go. I can't believe, I don't want to believe, and then we have this third sticking point. I don't know what to believe. And you know, I, I think that's an honest challenge that a lot of people have, because quite frankly, the Bible's a thick old book. Thick and old book. 2,000 years ago is the most recent edition. Um, and, and so it's a really, really old book. It's very, very thick. There's a lot that's hard to understand in there. And you know, you turn on the TV or click on the internet, and you will find people that will tell you anything from this book. I mean, they'll make up stuff, and they'll make it apply to it. And, and they'll tell you that this is what God says. And so it's really confusing. You know, is it really about health, wealth, and prosperity? Does God want me to be happy all the time? It, it, or is there some kind of interesting code behind it all? And only a few people really know the truth. And if I get into their cult, then I'll really know the truth. There's all kinds of creepy stuff out there. All kinds of creepy stuff out there. Well, what I'm going to do for you in the next three minutes is I'm going to show you how to interpret the Bible so that you can know what to believe. Are you ready? You don't believe me, do you? Are you ready? Here we go. Here we go. So, what do I believe? Well, actually, Jesus tells us exactly how to interpret the scriptures. So, Jesus, one day, speaking to the religious community, he said this. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness, what? Oh, yes, about me. So, Jesus is saying that if you really want to understand what the scriptures are about, they're about Jesus, yes, yes. So Jesus is the central character of all the Bible. So if you're wondering what to believe, it's about Jesus. Say that with me. It's about Jesus. No, I didn't say it good enough. Here we go. It's about Jesus, yeah. He is the central character of the Bible. But not only that, it's also about the mission that he had while uh, throughout the scriptures that he came to redeem us for the glory of God the Father. Because after Jesus rose from the dead on the road to Emmaus, speaking to two people, he said this, and beginning with Moses, this is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and then all of the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scripture, the things concerning who? He's a central theme, and he's a central character. So, What's the Bible about? What am I supposed to believe? It's all about? Oh, very well. Very good. Now let me show you how that works in, in practical application. So, Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that guy? Let's pick up his story. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. And so Philip's listening. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before a shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And notice the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about who? It's all about Jesus. 
So when it comes to interpreting the scriptures, it's about Jesus. When it comes to understanding the scriptures, it's about Jesus. It's not about health, wealth, and prosperity in you. It's about Jesus. He is the theme. He is the central character. It is all about Jesus. He is what the scriptures are about. And so, he took him to that place in Isaiah 53, and he applied it to Jesus. 700 years before Jesus was born, he said, Jesus was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom people would hide their faces, he was despised, Jesus was. And we did not esteem him. The idea is that we, we didn't value him. Surely, though, he, Jesus, has borne what? Our griefs. Our is mine and yours. That's ours. And he carried our sorrows. That's mine and yours. That's ours. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Actually, the idea here is to be, to be struck, to be killed and afflicted. But he was pierced. Why? For our transgressions. That's my transgressions and your transgressions. That's our transgressions. And he was crushed by God for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Let me say that again. And upon him was this chastisement, the judgment that brought what? One more time. I lied two more times. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So what do I believe? What do I believe? You see, it's with his wounds that we are ultimately going to be healed. Why? Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us. Oh, you got it. You got it. So let's come back to this question. The challenge is this. I don't know what to believe. Everybody makes the Bible say something that they want it to say. But listen to me. Jesus said it's about him. Jesus said all the scriptures declare the truth of what he did. And then Philip showed the Ethiopian eunuch how it's all about Jesus. So, I don't know what to believe. Here you go. I beg your pardon? I beg your pardon? Yes! What do you believe about him? You believe that he is the Son of God, as he said he was. You believe that he was born of a virgin. You believe that he lived a sinless, perfect life. You believe that he, the sinless Son of God, went to the cross and died for your sin. That three days later, he rose from the dead, and today he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he is an absolutely reliable Savior of your eternal soul. That's what you believe. This is the truth. It's not health, wealth, prosperity. It's not about all that other junk. It's about Jesus. And he is the one that you believe in. He is the one you believe in. But a whole lot of people claim to believe in Jesus. And yet there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of whew, good stuff going on. So the last question is this. You know, Pastor Bill, I do believe. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? That's a great question. Thank you for asking it. That's the beauty of leading this thing. I can talk, talk you into whatever I like now. Did you know that um, according to polls, 48% of Americans claim, claim to be born again? 48% of Americans claim to be born again. Let me ask you something. Does our country reflect the reality of that? Oh my gosh. 
Oh my gosh. Listen to what the Bible says. It says this in 1 John chapter 2. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is being perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. How reflective in our culture is that reality? Oh my gosh. A lot of people have walked a lot of aisles and prayed a lot of prayers and say, I believe in Jesus, but there's not a whole lot of transformation going on. You see, I think a whole lot of people believe in Jesus, but I don't know that Jesus believes in them. So, so what is this? Is, is it more than just belief? It has to be. It has to be. And this is the reason why. Notice what James said. James said this in chapter 2 and verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. But what's he say? Even the... And they... Yeah. Now, a demon is a fallen angel that's eternally condemned. We know they don't have eternal life or salvation. They believe. They even have an emotional experience. But they're not God's. They don't belong to God. A whole lot of people believe and had an emotional experience. But that's not what it means to be right with God. You see, there is an intellectual component. There is. And we're going to look at that. The verse that they like to use in the movie, and I think they do a very good job of using in the movie, the case for Christ, is a verse that comes from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 12, which says this. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I want you to notice what this verse says. It says, who believe in his name. There is a content of understanding that we must have in order to properly embrace Jesus Christ with our lives. There is an intellectual comp component. It's understanding who Jesus is and our need of him. Again, you are to believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God, he is born of the Virgin, that he is, uh, did live a perfect sinless life, that he was the perfect spotless Lamb of God who went to the cross and died for your sins, that he rose again the third day and he ascended to heaven. All of that, yes. Amen? It's true. It's all truth. But if it's just there, that's insufficient. Because demons know that. It is believe plus receive. Receive who? Who? Yes. This is a key facet of this whole thing of, of coming into relationship with God. It's not just something that you acknowledge. It's not something you, I believe. It's not something you quote. It's not something you simply say. The word receive means to grasp. It has the idea to take to oneself. It has the idea to embrace. And so what it's saying is this. You need to know who he is and you're in need of him. But that's not enough. You now need to embrace him with your life as the Lord and leader of your life. Another word for receive is the word repent. You see, we're all doing our own thing, going our own way, and all of a sudden this information comes out, that's cool, that's great, I'm, I'm doing my own thing, I'm doing my own thing, and all of a sudden it says, no, that's not enough. What do you mean that's not enough? You can't just live your own life doing your own thing and just believe and think you're good with God. It doesn't work that way. You have to turn around because you've been going the wrong way. 
And you need now to embrace Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. That moment is called repentance. That moment is called to receive him. There's an intellectual component. But there's also very much an act of your will. An act of repentance. Where we let go of ourselves and we embrace Jesus Christ. Those who believe and receive discover that they become the children of God. So dear ones, that is what it means to be right with God. Uh, again, uh, 1 John chapter 5 says this. Um, John, the same writer who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote this epistle or this letter, said this. And this is the testimony that God has given us, and it's eternal life. Woohoo! And this life is where? It's in his son. It's in Jesus. And whoever has Jesus has. And whoever does not have, does not have. There you go. A lot of people believe. A lot of people walked in eye, a lot of people shook a hand, but their lives have never been changed. That's because they've never received Christ by repenting of their sin and turning to him and embracing him as the only one who can save them and lead them in a way that honors the Father. You see, this is salvation, friends. It's not just what you know. That's important. But it's more than that. It's embracing him with your life. Have you done that? Have you done that? I, I think one of the ways you can know that you have the Son is because you love Jesus. You simply love him. You see, before we loved our sin. We dwelt in darkness because we really loved our sin. We didn't want to get to the light. But when you come to the light, all of a sudden you realize to know him is to love him, and to love him is obey him. He's amazing. He's glorious. He's wonderful. Do you love him? Do you have a desire to follow him and obey him to please him? Not because that will save you, but because he has saved you and he's now become precious to you. See, that's what it means to have the son. It means your life has changed and it's a glorious thing. It's a beautiful thing. Tell you what, uh, we are done. What I want to do is I just want to invite everybody to just bow your heads for just a moment with me. I, I, you know, I open by just praying that may, maybe somebody's obstacle or, or your sticking point would be unstuck during our time together. And that's my prayer. Maybe there's someone here today that has basically been living your own life but thinking you're okay. But today you've understood something very different. I want to give you a chance to embrace Jesus Christ with your life. And again, you can do that through a prayer. And so right now, if you would like to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, in the quietness of this moment, I want to encourage you to pray something like this. Dear God, I want to be your child. Dear God, I want my sin forgiven. Dear God, I want all the guilt that I carry with me to be washed away. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is your son. I believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that he lived a perfect life. I believe that he was a sinless son of God who went to the cross and died for my sin. I believe he rose again the third day. I believe 
that he is indeed in heaven right now at your right hand. Oh God, I believe in Jesus. But I want to receive Jesus right now, oh God. I right now, turning from myself and my sin, I embrace him as the Lord and the leader of my life. Oh God. Father, thank you that I can become your child through Jesus. Thank you, oh God. Father, we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. If today is the day that you have embraced Jesus Christ with your life, please seek me out. Give me a chance to just say congratulations because this is, this is my family tradition. I'm done with this. I, this is my family tradition. If somebody comes to meet Jesus, the Bible says that all the angels in heaven rejoice and they throw a party. So my family always goes out and buys ice cream when somebody comes to Jesus. So please, give me that pleasure by letting me know you came to Jesus and I'm going to buy ice cream because of you. Thank you. Thank you.